Good morning, everybody. Welcome into 104 Through the Fans Coffee Break, where we're trying not to do overreaction Tuesday as the Broncos fall to the Seattle Seahawks last night, 17 to 16. Uh, I went back and watched the game last night, so I've got a couple of different feelings than I had yesterday, you know, when you're going through the emotions and everything like that. But DMAC, Jake Shapiro on with us this morning. DMAC, how you doing? I know you are scouting a place down at Mile High Station for the pregame show that's going to happen this Sunday as the Broncos are back in town. My first year doing pregame shows for the fan was in 2008, if you can believe it. And we did it from here at Mile High Station. We've been here for years and years. We kind of bounced around a little bit. And I'm so thrilled that we're going to be back here at Mile High Station, which has been the home of so many up and down moments. If you think of everything in Broncos history, guys, from 2008 up until today, it's pretty wild. You know, when you talk about the firing of Mike Shanahan to Tim Tebow, Josh McDaniels, Peyton Manning, and then all the down years until now we're here in the Russell Wilson era. So happy to be back here at Mile High Station, that's for sure. No, absolutely. Jake, how are you this morning? I'm good. Mile High Station, possible home of my uh, wedding here next summer. So we'll see. That's, hey, they do that <laughs> the here, Jake. Stations. They yeah. do an amazing job with weddings. Uh, one of our friends in the media, DMAC, got married there, and it was a wonderful wedding. Yeah. So, well, that's yeah. awesome, Jake. That's I. Uh, my kids have had their proms here. I I, um, uh, I hosted banquets. I had a nonprofit uh, youth baseball organization. We did banquets here. I've, I've seen, yeah, man, this would be an awesome place to get married, Jake. Come on now. See, Max, oh, like, I might as well renew my vows and get married here too, you know? <laughs> Rachel, are we talking marriage with you, Rachel? Do no we, marriage we... with me. No marriage with me. Give me, give me a little <laughs> bit of time, D-Mac. Give me a little bit of time, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get into the Broncos now. Again, a hard game last night. Uh, not what people were expecting. Yeah, I mean, you can look at the yardage. You would think the Broncos would have walked away with a win. But the penalties and the turnovers, they really, really, really killed the Broncos last night. Let's start with the – do you guys want to start with turnovers or penalties? Which one are you feeling like you can really dig into more? I, th- I think the turnovers. Should we go oh, on the back-to-back fumbles? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't happened since what the, uh, I mean, forever since the '80s. I mean, 1987. it's just 1987. Okay, I mean that. I think that lost you the game right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, this game should have been a blowout. Most teams do convert from the one yard line. It's not crazy to think the Broncos not only gave away a touchdown and settled for a field goal. Okay, that's four points. They also didn't convert on two easy touchdown attempts from inside of the five yard line. That's another 14 points guys. That that's 18 points that the Broncos just gave away 18 points. I mean, I don't know how you win in the NFL when you give away 18 points. Yeah. It's actually phenomenal that the Broncos were even one. It was a one point loss considering the turnovers. Like, Teams don't turn over the ball like that and win. Uh, the Bengals almost did it this past Sunday as well. Uh, but DMAC, not only was that game the one-yard fumble game in 1987, that was with replacement players. So this ah. is unheard of. That was a strike game. This is an unheard of thing, fumbling twice at the goal line. Um, you know, some flashbacks with Russell Wilson, especially against the Seahawks, of thinking, oh, the, those goal line turnovers in Russell Wilson, huh? You know, you get a little feeling of that because of the Super Bowl, right? But 
I ultimately, you know, you come back to, it's like if they do the most conservative thing possible and take 17 yard field goals, they win that game. The only way they don't win that game is the fumbles on the goal line. So I'm sitting here kind of positive about the Broncos season still. I still am a little discouraged by the fact that I thought they needed to win that game out on the road because it was one of their easier road games. But ultimately, I thought the team played pretty well. I've got another stat for you. Uh, Russell Wilson threw for 340 yards and one TD. The Broncos haven't had a quarterback do that since, uh, I think, Case Keenum against the Jets in like 2019. And they haven't had a quarterback do that without a turnover since like Trevor Simeon in 2017. So the Broncos haven't had a quarterback play like that in forever, which is why they got Russell Wilson. And he didn't even look like the all-star that we've seen him in the past last night. So I'm pretty encouraged with the Broncos. They just need to clean up some of the things, the penalties and the turnovers. And I just want to put one thing in context real quick. The first fumble with Melvin Gordon was on fourth down. And Melvin Gordon pointed out accurately after the game, well, either I get in there or I don't. That's why I stretched the ball. So so to me, I'm, I'm trying to be careful by not saying – fumbles or turnovers as much as you didn't get in from there you didn't get in they stopped you the only chance was to stick the ball out but they stopped you anyways so the fumble actually doesn't matter there what matters is that you just didn't call the right play to get in yeah there he is he's reaching out he's trying to get in and then the ball got knocked away the ball's going back to seattle no matter what the play that hurt them the most the more significant turnover was absolutely Javante Williams, which happened on third down. And the specifics of that play, the crowd had a huge impact. They were in the gun. It was supposed to be a pass play. And Russell Wilson checked to a run. Now, theoretically, that's okay. A quarterback's well within his rights to do that. The problem was Graham Glasgow, who was filling in for a starter, Quinn Miners, who was hurt, didn't hear the change. And that's why he backed up. So instead of moving forward in a run call, he went back into pass protection. Okay, messed up. So it's a messed up play, and then Javante's got to hang on to it. So that play, listen, if we want to talk about bigger game-changing moments, let's focus on these rather than the kick. We can talk about the kick if you want, no problem. I've got plenty of thoughts, and I'm sure you guys do too. But let's focus on what really matters. The Broncos just gave away points they gave away points and they had to settle for a field goal when they could have got a touchdown and that was because of a penalty too because they had an open look and and they 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 had a penalty so penalties and and not getting in slash fumbling um to me that was such a a bigger turning point than just the the 64 yard field goal if you go back and watch that game the seahawks didn't beat the broncos the broncos beat themselves no doubt and you can, when you go back and you watch it and you're not watching it live and there's so many other things, you can digest it so much better. But for, it was pretty much death by centimeters, you guys, with Eric Tomlinson <laughs> on that uh, touchdown. Eric Saubert not catching it in the end zone, too. There were just so many plays where the Broncos didn't connect with themselves. And again, it kind of goes back to a lot of people are saying, oh, they should have played a preseason. Maybe we wouldn't have had this issue. But again, it wasn't the Seahawks that beat him. And that's obviously what the scoreline says. But the Broncos lost that game completely 100% by themselves, which is why I'm on the same note as Jacob. We can still be positive about this team. There was a lot of good that came out of it. And they will clean it up. And we will see better results moving forward, Jake. Two more quick notes on the Javante thing. Uh, 
that play and that series, we don't know that if it gets to fourth, fourth down that hack, it doesn't kick the field goal that time around. It makes the exact opposite decision uh, compared to what he did with Melvin Gordon. Uh, the Melvin Gordon play I found interesting because he actually caused the fumble himself with his helmet. Uh, and then it got punched out by a Seahawks player. If that ball was not getting loose by his helmet, it would have been in the end zone because it was still in his grasp, but not his possession by the time it crossed the goal line. Uh, but the Javante play, DMAC, you, you pointed out that it was pass protection from one of the linemen. Um, all night, I noticed the Broncos, and they got a couple delay of game penalties. They weren't getting plays in until 0 0 or 0 1 on the game clock. And not only do I think that it is bad because you don't have as much time to make audibles and stuff, but you allow the defensive line a pretty good idea of when the ball is about to be snapped. And I noticed because of that, the Seahawks were getting great jumps later in the game on those pass rushes. Uh, Another very fair criticism. Listen, there's zero doubt there were kinks because they did not play their starters and coach their starters in preseason. Zero doubt. But they just did not want to risk possible injury. So Mm -hmm. your your trade-off was what we saw last night. And by the way... Expect some kinks and some problems in game two against Houston, okay? Expect it. Um, it. It doesn't all get solved overnight. And this is a relatively short week. I expect more issues against Houston, too. And, and then I think in game three, it's a fairer assessment of moving forward. I think you need all those kind of reps. So you have a huge conundrum, guys. You know, especially with a young team and young coaches, You need the reps to be on the same page. You know it. The Bills probably don't. The Chiefs probably don't. Tom Brady clearly doesn't. (laughs) But young teams do. And this is the price we pay. It sucks. It stinks. I thought they could get away with it. They should have got away with it. Um, But they didn't. So Mm -hmm. they did pay the price for not playing the starters and coaching them up better in the preseason. They had those opportunities to do so. They didn't use them. And they paid the price last night. Will Peterson said a great thing during our halftime show yesterday of Hackett traded health for sloppiness. Yeah. I thought the way he worded that was beautifully. I have retweeted it since, or I've tweeted it out since, but that is the truest statement is he wanted his players to be healthy instead of having that chemistry built, instead of knowing exactly when they're going to um, snap the ball, exactly what time this like sort of stuff is going to happen. It's the small details. And he traded that because he wanted to have the health aspect. But unfortunately, Quinn Miners, you mentioned it, DMAC, he goes out with a hamstring injury. So again, they're losing more crucial like key pieces to this Broncos team that they really need because they just don't have the depth. The depth stinks, and Glasgow was, man, he was a fringe guy the, the entire preseason. They didn't sign him last year. He's just not that good anymore. Um, Natani Mutai was going to be their guy, but, you know, he got hurt, and so he's not, he's not available. So they really lack depth there. And never mind the problems that they have at right tackle, where they started Cam Fleming, who, you know, that was Calvin Anderson the entire offseason and preseason. And Billy Turner's not healthy, who really is their plan. Yeah, they got, they've got some issues there, no doubt about it. And, and they had some coordination issues. Listen, that was ugly, okay? And um, I, I think everybody's getting hung up on the, the field goal kick as if the field goal kick, even if it went in, would have solved all the issues. I mean, it would have been great. You would have been talking about a win, not a loss. 
But to think that, like, you know, that's the biggest problem? Are you kidding me? I mean, that, that, that's its own separate issue, and it's, well, within the, we could talk about it, no doubt about it, and it's worthy of talking about. It's just that there's so many bigger issues that the Broncos had. Okay, so let's get into the field goal then, because right. 64 yards, McManus tweets out that that was like the area that they needed to get, the 46-yard line, left hash with my line to get to. They got there, need to make the kick. And then Brandon McManus misses from 64 yards, and Broncos lose by one. Brandon McManus is now one of eight on field goals of 60-plus yards in his career. NFL teams converted 49% there. Uh, ESPN analytics had Denver with a 30% win probability on a field goal attempt, 29% chance to win by going for it close to a coin toss. There a lot of this coming from our post game show that you can catch after every single Broncos game. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of questions. It was going to be risky regardless of the situation, whichever one you were going to go for. And I'm still standing by my firm belief that if Russell Wilson thought that they could make those five yards, he would have been out there and they would have gone for it instead of the kick. So people, some people are agreeing with me. Some people are saying absolutely not. But at the end of the day, they missed the field goal and the Broncos lose by one, DMAC. Well, they had a plan. Now, if you want to just question their plan, fine. But what I like is they had a plan. Whereas Vic Fangio, guys had no plan. I mean, he really did operate by his gut. He didn't use analytics. He didn't believe in science. Um, he lost the football team so many different ways. I, I can't even begin to tell you. This was a plan. When you go to your kicker and you say, where are you good from? And he says, 46 left hash. That is based on what he's doing pregame and at halftime. And that's mm-hmm. what happens. So historical data doesn't mean that much because every situation is slightly different. Inside, outside, time of the year, altitude, weather. Nothing is, is replicable you know, time after time after time, aside from what we obviously can all agree on, the further you go back, the more difficult the field goal becomes. But it wasn't like the kick was short. If the kick was short, it would have been a underestimation of ability. It wasn't. It was just a miss. Whether that miss was from 25 yards or 64 yards, a miss is a miss. Mm -hmm. And field goal kickers miss field goals. The problem that Nathaniel Hackett has, I guess, is that he trusted his kicker. So never mind historical data. He went to his kicker, who's the longest tenured Bronco, a Super Bowl champion, and bangs home 65-yard field goals every single day at practice. He does. So Nathaniel Hackett used all the information he had to set the outer range for where he would go for it. So once they got there, guys, it was simple. Either we trust Brandon McManus based on all of that data, or we go for fourth and five. Guys, we either try to win right now, or we take a coin flip chance that we convert fourth and five. If we don't convert fourth and five, the game's over, and we never tried to win. It's a tough decision, a really tough decision. And what I would support them is, at least they stuck to their plan. The plan didn't work, but it's not like they were flying loose and carefree. So I was surprised. Everybody was surprised. Nobody knew what was happening when they were letting the clock go down. But you wouldn't have been questioning it if the ball was, say, at the 30-yard line. What took everybody by shock is that 64 yards was an acceptable distance. Yeah, I actually agree with DMAC on a lot of this. Uh, I will always be in favor of empowering your players. 
and siding with analytics and data. What the data did not say that DMAC did not share is that as many field goals from that distance have been kicked in in NFL history that have been returned the other way for touchdowns, as well as the fact that as many kicks that have gone in from that distance, which is a total of two in NFL history, a 64-yarder and a 69-yarder by Justin Tucker, the, the latter of which, only one of them have been not at altitude. So I thought that even if Brandon McManus has the leg, I'm not kicking that field goal unless there's one second left on the clock. And that's my only option because the data shows that it is a nearly impossible kick in NFL history, no matter who your kicker is, no matter how much you trust that kicker. Personally, I'm going for fourth and five with my superstar quarterback with a minute left in that game and continuing the hurry up because I've got to get it at least five to six yards closer, at least in my mind, which again, I think DMAX take is reasonable. I think what Nathaniel Hackett did in, in retrospect and sleeping on it is honestly reasonable. Again, it's a coin flip decision and I don't think either were great options, but I don't think either were terrible options uh, and it's not ultimately why the Broncos lost the game. They should have never even had this opportunity. They had a last gasp. They still almost came back and won the game miraculously. It would have been awesome, but that's not why they lost it. Real quick, I just want to correct you, Jake. 66 yard from Justin Tucker, not 69. Um, 69 would be extremely, extremely impressive too, though. Uh, but, okay, if you were Nathaniel Hackett in that moment, you know you just paid your quarterback. This is the debate everyone's having is, how much money did they just give Russell Wilson? He should be able to go out there and make a play. This is why you pay him. If you're Nathaniel Hackett, you know what you know about Brandon McManus. You know how much you just paid Russell Wilson. What are you doing, Jake? What? Oh, go ahead, Jake. Sorry. Yeah, you know, I, I, he knows all that, right? Like, he, he, he did what he did. Personally, again, I, I would have gone for the next play with about a minute left or call the timeout, call my best play in my playbook there, and then go for it on fourth and five. There's another couple things going on here. There were only three receivers targeted in the game and two that made a catch. So you're trusting your receivers on that fourth and five, and they didn't really trust their receivers for much of that game. You also don't want to show your playbook in week one necessarily, which sounds stupid because the game is possibly on the line, but I'm just sharing what goes into a coach's head. So I personally, again, I'm going for that fourth and five. I'm going for the sticks. I can use the whole field. I have three timeouts, so I can use the entire field. Seattle's best defensive player is not out on the field because he's hurt Jamal Adams. So I think I can get that play in, and I think I can get the six yards. Um, but again, McManus is a legendary kicker in Denver. He says he can get the job done. He's your longest tenure Bronco. And I think even if they didn't get the job done and people are saying, well, this is disrespectful to Russ in a reverse way, it's kind of respectful to Russ because it shows, Hey, the franchise is going to reward guys that are loyal and that are honest with us and that have open dialogue with the coaching staff. So Russ is going to see that and say, Hey, my guy just missed that happens, but they trusted him. So I think that's something that's getting overlooked a little bit. Yeah, the the whole like disrespecting Russ thing is 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 preposterous. Mm -hmm. That's not what happened at all. It, like again, if you want to be critical, like you said, Jake, you'd only you'd say, hey, I'd rather go for a sixty-four yarder rather than a hail mary. Okay, great. I mean, I absolutely understand that, but that's just not how they were thinking. Now you can criticize how they were thinking. That's fine, but they established a a, a range. They did. And the range has to stop somewhere. 
Okay, so you say, oh, they should have gone for it. Well, would you felt much better about it if it was 59 yards? Not 59, 58, 57. I mean, what is it? You have to establish on that final drive, if we go for a field goal, what are we going to be satisfied with? And frankly, I think the reason why they didn't show more of a sense of urgency is their goal was to get to 46 left hash. That actually was their goal. Now, if you want to say, well, that was a stupid goal, fine. And you've got plenty of analytics to back you up in historical data. But you have to establish some sort of outer range somehow. If you want to criticize them for a dumb plan or a dumb um, endpoint range, okay. But I would ask you then, anybody who's critical of that, well, how would you establish the endpoint range? It's got to be somewhere. The range has to be somewhere. And it has to be somewhere before that drive starts because it, 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 it impacts everything else you do in that drive because they're trying to work the clock down. They're trying to actually give Seattle as least time as possible to walk away with, with the win. Okay. That's what they're trying to do. And, and I, I dispute that way in the process a little bit because they hadn't scored in the second half. So I didn't think that Denver was re- really needed to be concerned about Geno Smith with two timeouts going, you know, 60 yards in, in 40 seconds or, you know, whatever it was going to take to get their field goal. Uh, another funny quirk of the field goal, the Broncos kicked Brandon McManus, the, the line of scrimmage was 46 yards. They're putting the ball down at the Denver 44, their own half of the field. And because it's so far back, the Broncos would actually cede territory back to the 44 instead of the, the 46 on the other side of the field. So I just find that a funny quirk when you're kicking field goals from that deep, you're putting the ball basically on your own 40 yard line. Yeah, but it's, it's win the game or not. Right. No that's doubt. What, no that's, that's what it came down to because Jake and, and Rachel, they, they didn't kick that on second down or third down or first down, or like you see desperation kicks happen all the time. My guess is the vast majority of those kicks, by the way, probably happened with less than five seconds to go, those other 60 yarders. So they weren't really calculated. It was just kind of a desperation mode. So again, in in terms of historical data, how many kickers were being asked to do something they really weren't comfortable with, right? Brandon McManus is comfortable with that. So you'd have to go back. The sample size is so small. You'd have to go back and look at all of the specific kicks um, and what situation it was in. Um, I get it. McManus had only hit like, well, well, now one of eight from 60 plus yards. So what? I mean, you know, um, things change all the time. You know, things don't stay the same. You know, kickers get stronger. There's technology with stuff. I have no doubts, by the way, the way kicking is going, 60 to 65 yards is going to be an acceptable distance to go for field goals in the future. Have no doubts about it. Look how often teams actually go for it on fourth down now compared to, you know, back in the day. Look at baseball shifts, the way that is compared to the way it was. So don't tell me things don't improve, things don't get better, and things have to be adjusted. Brandon McManus has one of the strongest legs in the league. If you're going to go by somebody's judgment, I would trust that sort of veteran. Hey, if the kick was short, I'd be more on board with how ridiculous and preposterous is Brandon McManus. Why in the world would he say it? But the kick wasn't short. Brandon McManus was actually right. He has the leg to make it from there. The ball just drifted. And it sucks. It does suck. But it doesn't mean that it was a bad plan. I don't think. And it does. it certainly doesn't mean they 
they didn't trust Russell Wilson. Of course they trust Russell Wilson. I think Wilson had a say in what happened in that um, play. But I love how there's, like, this one little fly who wants to keep joining in on this. Yeah, he, like, goes by your camera every once in a while, and then, like, he's clearly wanting to join the coffee break party over here. I love it. Uh, Let's get into, though, do we love it or do we hate it? The fact that Shelby Harris uh, got the win, got a little bit of what sounds like revenge that he wanted against the Broncos. When James Palmer asked Shelby Harris how the Seahawks were able to force two fumbles on the goal line, he told me that happens when you trade one of your best defensive linemen to the other team. And then he also said, what did this mean when to you? Harris said, I got to say, I got one thing to say. Let's ride. Do we love it or do we hate it, DMAC? Uh, I'm kind of like whatever with it. It's it's consistent with Shelby Harris's personality. That's who he is. Um, nobody thinks he's the center of the, the world more than Shelby Harris. Um, so it's just who he is. It doesn't, it doesn't really bother me one way or the other. It's Shelby being Shelby. It makes him a big personality. He's very popular within the, the locker room, and I'm not surprised he would say something like that. Um, Shelby was an afterthought in the deal. He was, you know, not a critical part of it. I mean, he was an all right part. Um, certainly nothing mattered about Shelby Harris and the deal for Russell Wilson. It's just that he was an available veteran that they could move in terms of getting appropriate value. Real quick, Jake, before you cut in, I forgot to look this up. I was going to, did Pete Carroll and Russ, did they talk? Did they shake? How, what situation went on there? Anybody? I didn't see anything. I, I saw it. They had a quick bro hug at, at the middle of the field. It lasted about a second. Um, that was it. I mean, it was, it was fast. It was after the game. It was quick. You know what? I don't know, even at this moment, and maybe you guys do, was there any kind of tribute or recognition of Russell Wilson before the game? I don't think so. I didn't see it. I think we would have seen it if there were. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You know, uh, and, and on this note, let me do this for a second. Time now for Coffee Breaks Roast or Toast. Rachel. I am toasting this. I love all forms of pettiness. Shelby Harris, give me all the petty. Seattle Seahawks, give me all the petty. The 12th man, I love the pettiness. Their running back's name is Richard Penny. Um, I love it. I love it. Uh, this is what sports are for. Show your allegiances. Show your heart. Show your guts. I mean, DMAC, we work all day to get these stupid quotes from athletes. Some of them are great. Some of them are stupid. But, but we work all day for these. Just give me something with some drama and some flair. So I love it. Shelby Harris to James Palmer. Good job, James Palmer. Uh, Yeah, Shelby is an afterthought in the deal, and maybe he feels that way, and that's why he's got something to say. Uh, He was a little quiet all night, but he had a quarterback hit, so there you go. Jake, I love your enthusiasm for it. I agree with Jake a thousand percent on that, man. In fact, Jake, that is such a good argument. I'm changing my opinion. Awesome (laughs) for Shelby, because who am I to dismiss drama? How dare I dismiss drama? That's ridiculous on my part. Great point, Jake. The D and D Mac does not stand for Darren. It stands for drama. Drama Mac. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I do want to kind of get into though before we start trivia here in just a second. Um, the offensive line and obviously Javante having the horrible fumble it cost them, but he did have a lot of catches because of yeah. Rush just kind of pitching him the ball and he made plays out of those because the offensive line could not protect Russ at all. So I just want to give a shout out to Javante Williams on that case for plays that probably weren't even supposed to go to him. He made him work and he was able to gain some yardage on it. It it was crazy, Rachel, because after the game, I was like, Oh wow. Melvin Gordon had more carries, which he did. 
And then I looked down at the stat sheet. Javante Williams had 11 catches. Yeah. That is, that's insane. So in terms of, to- and, and Melvin Gordon had two. So Melvin, uh, Javante Williams actually had 18 total touches and Melvin Gordon had 14, which, which is probably appropriate. That percentage in terms of how much they each touch the ball, 18 to 14, I like that. I, Jake, help me with my math here. But that's probably around 60-40, something like that. 55-45, something along those lines. Yeah, and you know it's funny? Uh, I, I avoided I know. I avoided <laughs> so much uh, drafting Javante Williams in my fantasy league, and I think a lot of the viewers of our show did after Cecil had warned us and, and DMAC and Andrew Mason had warned us, hey, it looks like uh, we might see more carries from Melvin Gordon, which did happen. Yep. But had we all known that Javante was going to get 10 catches a game in a PPR league, like, my God. I mean, and, and honestly, this is such a great thing for the Broncos offense who need more of a safety blanket, especially with Tim Patrick out and their tight ends being a question mark. If they can hit Javante in the flat and he can find a way to get three, four yards every time they hit him, that's a huge addition to the Broncos offense. Oh, that's he's be, he becomes an effective Christian McCaffrey. He becomes yeah. a really special running back if he can do that. Um, and he, he did it great. I, I Listen, all the Hammond and Hahn, they're going to use what you saw last night is exactly how they're going to use Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon this entire year. And I am not surprised they gave the ball to Melvin Gordon and trusted him to get in from the one-yard line. I'm not surprised by that at all. Didn't work out. And I wasn't surprised they tried Javante Williams the next time. I was surprised Javante fumbled in that situation. That, that actually did surprise me. By the way, my buddy The Fly and I are going to have our own show together. <laughs> D-Mac and The Fly. <laughs> He's really sticking around, D-Mac. But we're going to bring in uh, James Merrillat. We've got Will Peterson as well because it's time for Tuesday Trivia. If you love Tuesday Trivia, um, we're talking Broncos. We're talking NFL. Okay, Will, hello. James, how's everybody feeling now that we're, you know, a couple hours removed from the loss? Has the panic kind of gone away a little bit? Are we feeling better? Will, we'll start with you. No, I'm grumpier this morning than I was last night. Like last night, we were all kind of in work mode, go mode. To to look at their four second-half possessions and go fumble on the one, fumble on the one, Eric Tomlinson, toe, centimeter out of bounds, field goal, and then miss field goal, and outscore them 3-0 in the second half and lose 17-16. It's unfathomable. Those were their four possessions when the defense pitched a shutout. Uh, They gagged one last night. I'm, I'm more ticked off this morning than I was last night. James? I mean, there's no doubt they gave one away last night, but, you know, do you want to win the battle or do you want to win the war? And what time's the parade today in Seattle? I mean, these people need to get a life, right? Like, you win one game, and it was their Super Bowl, and I get it, but that team's going 6-11. and 11. The Broncos are going 11-6. and six. They're going to be 7-1 and one coming home from London. It was my column today at denverfan.com. So many good things coming out of that game last night. The score, obviously disappointing, and I don't believe in moral victories, but if you can just look at the big picture and not get just caught up in the one, one, the one game, I think there were a lot of positives last night. All right. Well, we've got trivia because it is Tuesday indeed. We're going to be talking uh, Broncos and the NFL. So enter in this game pin 511-0530. We're going to have to be speedy because people are already on it today. So I like it. Oh, Jake's already in there. Nice. I like it. DMAC is here to just uh, roast some people, everyone. So we love this. 
we love when he comes in to just roast. So we'll give it a quick second. Again, Kahoot.it, game pin 5110530. Who do you think I am, Rachel? Uh, Hackett, sad face. <laughs> Four sad faces. That's how bad his debut was. Four sad faces. Holy smokes. What's yeah, that on the scale of, well, what, what is, How many sad faces does the scale go up to? Well, John Fox was a five sad face. So oh, wow. We got oh, to a four. Wow. <laughs> okay, well, we got to ten, so we're going to go ahead and start this thing. Uh, um, if you paid attention to today's show, you, we gave you a couple answers in here, so hopefully you did indeed listen in. Alrighty, let's do it. How many AFC teams have never won the Super Bowl? Five, six, seven, or eight. It's a tough one. I know the Bills are one of them. The Texans, the Browns, the Chargers, the Jaguars. Seven. Wow. Nobody got that one correct. Seven AFC teams have never won the Super Bowl. Okay. Number two. Look at that scoreboard. Russ's 29 completions are the highest in a Broncos debut among all quarterbacks. True or false? More than Tebow's debut, I know that. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Manning had more. That's the only yeah. one that beat him, right? But that Pittsburgh game, he wasn't super sharp. Yeah, I don't know. Twenty nine's a lot. Damn it! Oh, wow. True. If you would have read the Broncos um, stuff they put out last night, everyone, that was one of the focal points of it. So, oh, yeah. well, coming in, Timo, our man, Timo, coming in second. I love it. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. We love having you. How many of the Broncos' next 10 opponents did not win in week one? Oh, my God. Wow. I'll give you a hint. This one will make you feel pretty good. Wow. That's that's actually a good number no matter what. Well, the Texans didn't win. They didn't lose, but they didn't win. So Bulls didn't win. Niners didn't win. Raiders didn't win. Jets didn't win. Jags didn't wow. win. Yeah, nine yeah. of them. But I'm nuts. But I'm not saying they're going to go seven and no, one. Oh, that's hey James. That's an awesome stat for you right there. That's amazing. Well, I'm going to steal that one. That's really good. For sure. Nine of the that Broncos' next ten opponents did not week in win in week one. Everybody, that can make that's you feel crazy. Good. All wow. right. Dang. Well, I see you. I see you. Okay. Next question. What's the longest field goal in NFL history? <laughs> well, I know that one. We all know that. We all should get that one. There's been two kicks of 64 yards or more, and that's what Nathaniel Hackett decided to bet on. I mean, that is just moronic. James, oh, James, that's, didn't, James that's, didn't like the plan. That's punting territory in college. Awesome. Yeah, but Brady McManus is a world-class kicker. He's not a college kicker. I, I know. It's just funny. It's like it's like you, you, who, who's kicking from out there until you until you get to the elite, elite in a desperation play. He's also one for eight on sixty-yard field goals, Dmac. It's not like he has a track record of making those. He does in practice, Will. I don't. I don't care. I've got a nice game sample size that's been terrible. The, the the NFL record was set when they throw a pass, spike it, and they have one second left, and that's all they can do. What is the career long field goal for Brandon McManus? Who knows it? Well, obviously, it's this will make you question Nathaniel Hackett's decision last night even more. I will just say that. Oh, there's nothing. There's 
no reason to question it anymore. Like, it's the dumbest decision going. The kick wasn't short. It missed to the left. He missed his practice kick to the left. You think he would have adjusted that? You think he would have? He missed a kick. It wasn't short. Well, he it missed two kicks because he missed the one when Carroll called timeout, and then he didn't adjust enough and missed it left again. So if it's 59, you're feeling a lot better? It would have gone in from 59. It hooked at the last moment. He could have taken 10 field goal attempts, and he made seven of them, maybe. Who knows? It's going to be a, a hot topic all the way up until Sunday, everybody. Get ready to hear a lot about Brandon McManus and kicking. That's for dang sure. Okay. Will staying nice and hot. True or false? Jerry Judy's 67-yard touchdown is longer than any Broncos passing play from 2021. That's got to be true. <laughs> How could that not be true? One of the many positives from last night. Mm. Not to give it away, but that was one. They're like one of the only questions I knew the answer to today. True, true, true. Yeah, that was definitely positive. Jerry Judy was great. Well, last I night. gave it to you. Yeah. Okay. It's not Jerry Judy's longest though. Richard Sherman thinks that Patrick Sertan II has a chance to be the top cornerback in football this season. True or false? Where's the I don't care answer? Probably <laughs> true. Okay, James. Sassy already on this Tuesday. You can tell feelings are a little hard from last night, everybody. I'm just over Seattle. Uh, that bunch is just ridiculous. Indeed, it is true. Okay. They, by the way, they really do hate Russell Wilson. Yeah, those those ex-teammates. Talk about petty. Holy cow. Yeah. Richard yep. Sherman's mad that they don't give it to the running back at the one, but then he's also trolling Russell Wilson for two fumbles from his running backs at the one. It's like, which way do you want it there, Richard? It's funny how many of them um, chimed in yesterday after the game. It is. They hate him. True or false. Last time a team lost a pair of fumbles at the one-yard line happened during the 1987 strike season. Raise your hand if you attended a game during the 1987 strike season with replacement players. Raise your hand if you weren't even born yet. (laughs) (laughs) It was indeed true. Okay, so I'll go to our podium, which I think this actually might be the first time. Eric, congratulations coming in third. Good Eric. Jake. Jake came in hot real fast. And then our number one is. Will Peterson with Hackett with four sad faces. I was about to say, I think this is going to be the first time where we don't have two fan hosts on the podium. That's three. Am I the only one that sees three frowns? That's three frowns. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's three. Yeah, (laughs) we have two on on the podium, Rachel, Will, and I. I know, but I thought this was going to be the first time that we didn't have it. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so huge shout out, though. I saw Timo getting in there at four we appreciate you guys. Um, we love hanging out with you, especially doing trivia. It's so much fun. We're so glad that you guys all joined it. Um, but let's get into a little bit more. We got about five more minutes on the show, so I can tell that there's. Oh, looks like Dmax piecing out on us. Um, there's still a little bit of some sad feelings regarding last night. Oh, and he's back. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Peace out, Dmax. Have a wonderful. Okay, there he goes. Um, <laughs> Uh, technology never fails but uh, let's go because I asked this to Jake and DMAC if you were in the exact same position as Nathaniel Hackett you know how much you paid Russell Wilson you know Brandon McManus and what he's been able to accomplish 
what play are you drawing up to hopefully get the first down or are you kicking the field goal, James? Well, first of all, like I'm not going to be in that position and I'm not talking about down 17, 16, but they had a, the ball with let with more than two minutes left at the 40 yard line. They ran a play from midfield that got them to midfield right after the two minute warning. And they had to kick a 64 yard field goal. It was the play calling that got them into that point and the lack of clock management. Like they let it just run to the two minute warning. I hurry up a play there because you got to, you have to extend the game when you're behind, right? If you're ahead, you're trying to shorten the game. They shorten the game. The two minute warning is a timeout and you still had the other, your other three. So you had four. Mm -hmm. If you turn the ball over on downs or even have to punt it away, you gave up 44 yards in the second half. You still had time to get a stop and get the ball back. Even on the, the fourth down play where they decided to settle for the field goal, run that play without calling a timeout with a minute left and save your timeouts. If you don't get it, Geno's punting it to you from the with 45 seconds left, or the, the Seahawks are, and you still have a chance to get down and kick a 64-yard field goal. That was the problem. He made it all come down to one possession in one play instead of extending the game. It was just a lack of perspective on how to manage the end of it when you're behind. Yeah, and I think the other thing that maybe isn't getting discussed enough, and admittedly I didn't catch all of Coffee Break, but Brandon McManus dictated this decision, right? He made it very clear that if they got to the 46 left hash, he wanted to kick it. We heard McManus tell Andrew Mason that. We heard Russell Wilson say it postgame, and then good job bringing that tweet up there because he tweeted it himself to confirm it as well. So we now have all the players involved saying Brandon McManus wanted 46 left hash. Now, he infamously fought with Vic Fangio because Vic Fangio didn't trust him and let him do these long kicks. Well, Vic Fangio was one of the worst coaches in Broncos history, but maybe he was right on this one because last night, Brandon McManus wielded more power than Nathaniel Hackett and more power than Russell Wilson, and that is a massive mistake. Ooh, that's a very good point, Will. I hope there's a column maybe coming from you because I think that could get a lot of traction right there for sure. Uh, yeah, get to type it. I've only written nine things in the last 24 hours. So let me go get that done for you, Rachel. <laughs> Listen, I'm just here with the ideas, all right? You take your time whenever you need to. There's going to be a lot of more fun content coming out of DenverFan.com, though. All three of these guys do fantastic. Jake, what do you got? There's 20. We've published 26 stories in the last 24 hours. So definitely go to DenverFan.com. Yeah, like I said, these guys are on top of all of it. I'm so lucky I get to work with all of them, but that's going to do it for today's Coffee Break episode. We're back tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. We'll see everybody then. Bye, everyone.